Welcome to DIA Today, Democracy in America Today. I'm Matt Parks alongside Dave Corbin. Glad to have you with us as we explore the ideas behind today's headlines. My lift, I seize pollution. Those dirty fuels are burning. The Earth's whole climate's churning. Clean energy solution. My ride, I scans the bill. Fossil fuels are cheap. Wind and solar too steep. Drill, baby, drill. Predefined, misaligned, polarized division. Shuttered mind, worse than blind. 2020 vision. How's your week going, Dave? Probably uh, harder than yours. I mean, you're like off now, right? School's over. You have four months to do nothing. Just to oh, yeah. Back, play golf. Pretty much just breezing through it. Yeah. Yeah. Somehow it doesn't really work that way for interim provost, <laughs> but uh, it's, it's definitely lighter. It's certainly quieter. Uh, I'll say that much. You know, where the provost office is at King's, it's sort of in a back corner anyway. It's a quiet spot. But, uh, you know, yesterday, mid-morning I was going around turning a few lights on just so I wouldn't stumble over things because nobody else was around so right. yeah it's definitely a time where you can get some things done the email volume is down about 30 percent so that's that's a positive okay how are things in Bernie uh well I'm not interim so uh yeah right <laughs> no deal that's good, it's, good. Um, yeah there are there are a lot of things um going on at at Geneva a lot of good things uh, one of the things we do uh, is senior thesis where uh, students have to write a paper and then by recall, um, give a 20 minute presentation, just uh, speak it out loud, which I think is a really neat exercise. So yeah, those have been good. Um, and there's just every grade level K through 12 is having some sort of end of year thing, which is, which is neat. Uh, one, of, one of my favorite things I've seen thus far, uh, they do something in the grammar school called character traits where hmm. a teacher chooses uh, a word and um, and then tells a you know uh, a story about each student you know and says that you know that that character trait stands out for the student so they that was done for Eliza yesterday and uh, she was a servant leader good she wanted love but she got servant leader and uh, today is Jack this afternoon so okay really a neat exercise I thought it might be neat you know they were able to kind of list all of the character traits the teachers had chosen for them if they were been here for some time and how those right. might play into the thesis that someone chose very yeah. aristotelian so yeah well a little different from our tradition back at uh eccs in, in new hampshire where we would the last day of school we would do the the headmaster's revenge where <laughs> i would give a, a a joke award that was sometimes a little passive aggressive um, <laughs> oh, yeah. for each for each student but they would look forward to it i it was it was great. It was it was kind of a lot of pressure because you would have students, you know, four or five, one student seven years trying to come up with a new thing every year. You know, their, right. their character develops and evolves a little bit, but you know they're kind of the same person year after year. So uh, it's not always easy. But there's some incident or something you memorialize. Um, but uh, anyway, that was like the latest night I would ever stay up. I'd be up okay. at one o'clock, two o'clock in the morning trying to figure out that last student or two and. And whatever the joke was that connected one to the next. Uh, so in the last couple of years, I would take occasional notes just so I'd remember, you know, an incident sure. and just so I could sure. uh, recall it at the time. But 
I'll share that idea with folks here. I, yeah. We may have some, we may have some folks kind of at the upper levels who are wanting to do that because we also had senior prank day. So I'm sure that yeah, uh, that there'd be a lot of you know reverse pranks. There'd be some uh, payback, right? There's a little bit of payback involved in that. <laughs> There's a, a few messages that I sent to the parents too, you know, about what you should send or not send with your child for right. lunch, snacks, and uh, you know desserts. <laughs> so okay. Sometimes you have to communicate with humor, uh, what you can't communicate otherwise. So, Agreed. Agreed. All right. Well, Aristotle, uh, book eight, we're, we're at the last book. And speaking of uh, pranks and, and end of the school year, uh, he ends on, on a very uh, education-centric note. Uh, he writes at the beginning of uh, chapter one of book eight that no one will doubt that the legislator should direct his attention above all to the education of youth for the neglect of education does harm to the constitution. The citizen should be molded to suit the form of government under which he lives. For each government has a peculiar character which originally formed and which continues to preserve it, end quote. So if you are a lawmaker, uh, education is central to your endeavor and you have to think through what is it that your regime uh, aspires to and how can you have an educational program uh, that fits that aspiration, that, that, that helps um, secure that aspiration? So the first thing we think about, of course, right, is they, we live in the year 2022. And, you know, a question that we've had as we've gone through Tocqueville and now Aristotle is, you know, are we living within a democratic republic any, any longer? It was framed that way over 200 years ago. It certainly has undergone a transformation. Uh, there's definitely a lot of uh, angst and and um, ugly sentiment and and antagonism that exists today. Uh, that there's a fight over what the regime will be, and I think that it's it's really kind of left up in the air the question of what type of education ought we to um, want uh, for ourselves. And I think that um, you often hear people today argue that, you know, we've got to figure out a way how to, how to train these kids to be more civil. You know, what, what tends toward civility, what tends toward peace. And um, it's good that that conversation is, is taking place because I think for a long time, most of the conversation around education look to the particular or private end of just achieving success, which meant um, doing the work that you need to do uh, in order to have the skill set where you can uh, work on a, a certain occupational pursuit and make a lot of money doing that. Now, no, no doubt that still exists, but I think it's, it's interesting and good that living in a time that's troubling, we're beginning to ask these fundamental Aristotelian questions again. Yeah, thinking about how the role of character um, fits into an education. Think about the role of the relationship between education and the regime. You know, this is a very interesting question. You, you, were, you were talking about the fact that we have certain understanding of our regime historically, which is maybe being challenged, has been challenged in many ways over the last century. And I think one of the ironies, if you think about the educational scene today, and you know, we've both had a whole career in education, and we've taught at public and private institutions of various sorts and various levels. It's really the private schools that are doing the most work on behalf of the regime. 
Uh, The public schools are laboring to undermine the regime uh, quite explicitly in some cases, and maybe uh, not always uh, directly uh, with that in view in other cases. But but really, if you were to look at the the typical education that one receives at University of New Hampshire or other public institutions uh, and public schools, K through 12 level, uh, this is, of course, where much the controversy is around school boards and CRT and all these kinds of topics. You know, the, the, the effort that's being made there in terms of the basic orientation of the student they're trying to produce is one that would be antithetical to the basic principles of our republic. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, you know, quite contrary, I think, to Aristotle's expectation, perhaps, private education, uh, the kind that you're doing at, at Geneva, the kind that we're doing at King's and other places that are similarly minded, uh, although our ultimate purpose actually isn't to support the state, right? we, we have a higher goal and view where we're aiming to glorify God. Uh, but along the way, we're actually preparing good citizens who, whose character and habits would be quite supportive of, of the republic that, that the public institutions are largely abandoning. Yeah, and I think at the heart of that project, or at least how it was envisioned, both at King's and Geneva, there is great belief in the truth of the word of God, uh, in the standard of absolute truth, and that that propels everything forward, right? That, you know, what are we to do? We are, we are to try to understand who he is and how he would have us live. So that project then lends itself uh, to, I think, other commitments. Uh, And so the commitment to truth can lend itself to the commitment to justice. It can lend itself to the the, the things that are supportive of a regime. But if you believe that truth is relative or that truth is made or undone simply by uh, attaining power, then your understanding of of your regime, your understanding of of your community is going to be one in which you're always kind of trying to figure out, well, who was stronger when, and and then the game becomes not not to try to figure out uh, what the truth is, what the truth of the matter is, but but how can I acquire power and then exert that power? And I mean, that's that's the fundamental question and right, the book, on education, you know, Plato's Republic, I mean, you see it, you know, in Proverbs as well, and throughout the Bible, that, you know, is, is this a matter of truth, or is this a matter of power, right, the, the old question, what is truth, so um, I think that, you know, Aristotle has really, you know, kind of made, uh, has made an argument that you can, you can arrive at truth, that you can think through a rational principle and, and arrive at truth, and applied to the regime, uh, the regime better believe in the truth of the regime, or it soon will go out of being. Right. I think that's, as you're saying, that's really the challenge in our own day, right? That the, the regime and the ruling class in the regime no longer believes in that, but, but believes in something else, or maybe just like you're saying, believes primarily in power and its own moral virtue. And, and therefore it's, the goodness of whatever it does with that power, then that creates a very different context for education. And you know, and you, you raise questions about the content of education as well. Are you know, are we trying to prepare people for careers? Are we trying to mold character? Or, you know, those are those are big questions too that I think it's it's great that Aristotle leads us into because 
you know, that, that, that becomes a, a point of debate and discussion all the time. And I think it's one of the, the weaknesses, honestly, on the conservative side in, it, in its critique of higher ed, which of course has many strong points to it as, as you look at what's going on in the general landscape of higher ed, but there tends to be more of a utilitarian focus and a lack of appreciation for the humanities and for education of character and soul and, and the kinds of things that you know, you're doing at Geneva, we're doing at King's, um, with a very different perspective from the typical school and the public sector, um, and, and yet maybe not quite appreciated by at least certain elements on the right as they, as they critique our education system today. Yeah, I couldn't agree more that this, this claim by many um, on the right that because higher education has been vulgarized, that lower education ought to be our horizon. And, yeah. uh, and I think that, you know, sometimes that comes with the right appreciation for hard work and grit and, and the things that it takes to, uh, to make something run. Uh, but at the expense, it, that should not be at the expense of thinking and looking and turning your eyes to the higher things um, and to the seminal questions. What is the best love? Um, what does it mean to be virtuous? What type of virtue um, is essential to the good life, intellectual or moral virtue? What type of knowledge uh, ought we try to acquire? Um, useful knowledge or higher knowledge? These are, these are questions, right, that, that Aristotle brings up as he moves through the beginning of, of book eight. And if, if you're not interested in those questions, then you really have kind of just cut off an, an essential part of human dignity. And so you've just kind of taken that out of your life and you, you tend to become more of an automaton and, and you may be an efficient automaton, but an efficient automaton is not a human being. You know, you can own the libs and you can poo poo Shakespeare and score some cheap populist points, but you're going to miss an awful lot if you don't read Shakespeare, you know? Yeah. So um, there's a, there's a good way to engage the humanities that really is the story of Western civilization for millennia. And the fact that it's been corrupted in the last 50 years by people who want to tear down Western civilization, it's not really a good reason to abandon Shakespeare, Augustine, Plato, Aristotle, and the rest of that great tradition. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a pretty good thing at the end of the day for uh, your life if you've read Macbeth. It, it kind of, especially if, if you have any talent at all. Or any right. ambition. It's prob probably a good thing that, that, that you read him. So, I mean, Ar Aristotle is not unaware, right, that, that education could go in the wrong direction because, you know, he'll suggest here, right, that oftentimes these questions might be set aside or not considered. And then he also uh, writes that, okay, well, people have different ideas about what virtue is. And even that disagreement uh, or having the uh, different ideas could, could lead to not practicing it because one person thinks it's X and another person uh, thinks it's Y. But I think that he comes out at a pretty good place here that, um, you know, that whenever you're thinking about what you ought to be doing, you ought to be thinking about whether or not it is liberating to the human being, liberating in a good way, uh, you know, securing for that individual right, a freedom that only human beings are, are able to have. And that secondly, you know, is, is whatever you're doing producing liberality within the soul or illiberality? And this goes to the question of right, power, right? right? The person who, in, in, the, in the basic definition of the word, 
who is liberal is fair, is, is just, uh, is accurate, uh, renders to another, you know, what ought to be rendered and doesn't seek for themselves something that they ought not to possess. And, um, you know, these are, these are, these are great human traits. So education ought to aim toward that end. And I think if we take into account everything he said in, in the politics, like you get into trouble, right? When you don't have these traits, and you're more likely to have a better peace, live more peaceably with others if you do have them. So it's, you know, it's no surprise that he ends here in, in book eight. I think you make a great point that you know, the, the kind of person that comes out of the right kind of education is a person with a kind of generosity, with a, with a willingness to engage other people in a way that recognizes their common humanity, that, that isn't aiming for the cheap rhetorical win or just to score points or dunk on somebody or just, you know, kind of show off their superiority in some way or force others to conform, you know, just all, all, all those kinds of things, which are really so characteristic of our politics today that there's a, there's a different model here, you know, and, and it's, a, it's a, it's a quaint term, the model of the gentleman, right? You think about that 19th century, say British ideal um, where the gentleman rightly realized, you know, properly, executed, as it were, that ideal uh, achieved is, is something that, that is, is admirable and, and lacking uh, too much in our politics. You know, we're coming off some, uh, some primary elections last night, and, and you just kind of look at what is it that, that, you know, carries you through the Republican primary these days. Uh, it's not being a gentleman, <laughs> and it's, it's not being somebody who's a thoughtful defender of the regime. Just those just aren't the qualities that are currently desired. And so there's going to be consequences for that. When, when people that, that are right, maybe more often than not on policy, are, are wrong on matters of character and maybe no more wrong than their opponents, but, but wrong too, that, that's not good for the regime. Right? That, that, that's going to lead to a further coarsening of, of politics, uh, you know, greater division, uh, more, more enemies, less, less friends, and, and less peace. Right. So this, then when he turns to the types of learning, these, these would be common to us, uh, although we might not pick this list of four that he picks, reading and writing, uh, gymnastic exercises, music, uh, and, and drawing, these things that are fundamental means of, of education, you know, you could see how the, the means fit with the ends that he suggested here at the beginning of book eight, uh, in particular, when he talks about uh, gymnastic exercises. Do, you, do we do athletics uh, in order to become wolf-like and uh, ravage, you know, on the weak, or do we learn jab- gymnastics so that we can become like a lion, uh, noble, uh, one who uh, is courageous uh, who, um, yes, has strength, but employs that strength uh, toward a, a noble end. And, you know, here he, in chapter three and four, he's very critical of, of the Spartans who, yes, they at a time learned how to practice gymnastics better than, than others, or perhaps they were focused on that and others were not. But at the end of the day, if they didn't hold up the model of the lion, more the model of the wolf, um, in becoming uh, wolf-like, uh, they they swallow themselves up uh, as, as well. 
So um, just to kind of further emphasis uh, on this point that um, the means that you use ought to be in, in alignment with the end uh, that, that you seek. And on, on second point on this, that, you know, that requires having what we'd call downtime, peace, or leisure, but not an amusement that, that uh, tends towards sloth, uh, but uh, peace and, and relaxation that, that tends towards contemplation, right? yeah. thinking about higher things. And this, this is essential to it. Yeah, this is where he gets into music, which is, which is interesting. And this is another place where you, you can see differences over the last 75 or so years in our culture, right? With, with the emergence of popular music and, and the way that that influences the culture uh, versus other kinds of music, right? Traditional music, classical, other, other genres. And, uh, you know, some of the early critiques, I remember reading, you know, Richard Weaver in the 1950s, uh, his concerns about jazz, you know, and, and the kind of the direction that was taking people with the appeal to emotions. And, and of course, you know, then what follows from that is the emergence of rock and roll. And, you know, the, the, sort of the, the, the way that the genres of, of music that have emerged in those, in those decades have, have, have shaped uh, the souls of young people, right? Like that's, that's a, a major, major influence on, on young people, uh, far beyond maybe anything they're, they're studying in the classroom. And so thinking about where that music is leading people Right? Is it is it is it elevating the sentiments? Is it is it guiding the soul towards something excellent? I mean, think about the, the the ultimate realization of of the highest ends of humanity, and you know the images you get in the Book of Revelation of this heavenly choir that there's millions upon millions of people joining in, praising God. Worthy is the Lamb, whatever the tune is, right? More glorious than Handel, and and so at, at its highest. Right, the the greatest expression, perhaps, of, of praise for God might very well be all those human voices singing with the angels His praises. But of course, music can take you in a very, very different direction, and and so it, it, it's it's important to think about right? because the way that it influences the soul, perhaps without us realizing what's happening. So once again, a plug for Shakespeare, the the man who has no Right. Music in himself, nor is not moved with concord of sweet sounds, is fit for treasons, stratagems, and spoils. The motions of his spirit are dull as night, and his affections dark as Erebus. Let no such man be trusted. Mark the music. Right? You always need to mark the music uh, to, to understand the day that you live in. And, and music uh, can uh, be inspirational, aspirational, or it can... The type of music that uh, if you have a music in yourself that is of discord, uh, it can likewise uh, produce discord. So um, from Aristotle to Shakespeare to 2022, which is why all things are good in Texas, because there's just so many country music stations. <laughs> yeah, well, I remember, you know, watching The Matrix when that came out, whenever that was, 25 years ago. And, and the first movie was kind of interesting. And so when the second one came out, I watched that one and, and you got to the point where you kind of got their, their vision of what freedom was like, what, you know, if, if you were resisting the oppressive regime that was all around you and it was a rave, you know, it, it was a rave 
and I thought, okay, that's it. I'm, I'm, I'm done with the matrix. Right. Mm-hmm. Because that there was, there was something uh, they, they missed it. Right. Like, like they missed like music. Yes. Like important. And, and, but, but that expression of, of just sort of giving yourself over to the passions as, as the highest expression of freedom misses the mark. Well, more to come one, one more week, right? Finish up book eight, finish up the politics next week. So, yep. So we're going to wrap up the show with Tocqueville's crystal ball. So we're now two rounds into the basketball playoffs and one round into the NHL playoffs. So let's, let's check in a little bit on our picks before we make some new picks moving forward. So in the East, uh, it's now down to the Celtics and the Heat. So, Dave, you have the Heat going all the way. So you're still alive there. I had the Bucks, which, of course, uh, lost in Game 7 to the Celtics. So some good consolation there that it was Boston that, that uh, defeated the team that I had predicted. And so maybe you have the same kind of feeling about this Eastern Conference final. Can't, can't really lose, right? If the Celtics make it to the finals, great. Uh, if they don't, you were right about the Heat. Um, out West, it's kind of the opposite. So you had... Uh, the Suns, of course, who lost badly in that game seven Crazy. against Dallas. Yeah, wild. Um, and I have Golden State as my eventual champion, so they're still alive. We'll see how they do against against Dallas. NHL, uh, both of our picks for the finalists survived the first round. So we had you had the number one seeds, I had the number two, so they're they're both still going. So yeah, I'd say overall so far so good. Um, but we only got two episodes left, as you mentioned, and so we're gonna branch out a little bit. Looking at the sports calendar coming up, uh, we got one of the majors this week in golf, PGA Championship. And next week, next Saturday, is soccer's biggest, at least club prize, Champions League final. So we'll talk about that one next week. Uh, but golf's always tough, right? huge field, obviously. So picking a single champion is difficult. Uh, so what we're going to do is I'm going to give you five pairs of players, Dave, and you tell me which one will do better. Uh, and then I will ask you for your champion at the end, but we'll we'll focus on these five pairs first. So first pair, Tiger Woods against Rory McIlroy. I'm going to take Rory McIlroy there. So okay. playing well of late. Yeah, uh, you never want to underestimate Tiger because you know you, you think about three times his career should have been over, um, and certainly coming after his car accident you think never going to play again and here he is but i do think mcelroy still outplays him. all right second pair the texas bros jordan spieth your favorite justin thomas who do you like spieth of course no doubt all right all right yeah he's coming off a runner-up finish last week so he's playing well that putter can betray him at the wrong moment sometimes and an occasional drive that goes astray but his iron play is unbelievable and if he can make yeah. enough putts and keep the driver in play he's always a threat uh, i'm going to take thomas i think thomas is also playing well and probably both are you know top 15 top 10 finishes but i'm going to take thomas just ahead of speed third pair we have the world number one believe it or not scotty scheffler came out of nowhere winning almost every other week this year and then the world number two uh, john Rahm gonna go with john rom here yeah actually i I went to a golf tournament once uh, a few years ago caleb and i went and we watched a group that was at that time it was vj singh who of course was a former number one player and then john rom who at that point was you know just starting his professional career he'd been number one amateur but we walked around and it was like 
10 people following them around the course. And, you know, it was, it was Rom's like high school buddy or college buddy and his girlfriend and, you know, Vijay Singh just kind of grinding out there. Didn't really have anyone, you know, he's a little past his prime, but it was great. It was, it was an unbelievable experience. So I'm going to take Rom as well. All right. Fourth pair. We've got Dustin Johnson against Brooks Kepton. Two, two fun uh, majors players. Johnson often falling just short in the majors. Of course, Kepka with an amazing record of, of, of winning majors uh, and not much else, but certainly seems to rise to the challenge this time of year. I'm going to go with Kepka. I, I think that, uh, yeah, you're right. I mean, he's won this thing uh, twice. So uh, I, I think he'll, he'll be in there this again. So, yeah, I would take him, but he's had some injury issues. So I'm going to say, DJ beats him out. I don't think either of them wins the tournament, but I think uh, I think Johnson ends up ahead. Last pair, just for fun. Uh, of course, just like some of the other majors, the PGA allows some of its former champions to play, even if they can't otherwise qualify for PGA Tour events. So we got John Daly, the 1991 PGA champion, 56 years old, and probably biologically about 75, given all he's done to yeah. himself over the years against Sean Michael, who's regarded as probably the, the least likely PGA champion, 53-year-old, won back in 2003. Uh, they're, they're teeing off first uh, tomorrow, uh, 8 a.m. first group off the tees with one other player. Uh, get them out of the way, I guess. <laughs> but they might both shoot 85, who knows. But anyway, which one finishes better between those two, Dave? Got to go with John Daly, just have to, you know. Just, okay. For the character, it's, you know, in and of itself. It's just, yes. Speaking yeah. of Aristotle. Yes, exactly. A great, great model of Aristotelian virtues. All right, I'm going to take Daly also. Yeah, I, you know, he, he's still playing on the Champions Tour a bit. Uh, and every once in a while, he'll get an invitation from a sponsor to play a PGA Tour event. So I think he's probably in a little better form than, than Michael, but we'll see. All right, overall champion, who you got? Spieth. Oh, you Spieth. Okay, yeah. I figured you'd pick him. I'm going to take Colin Morikawa, who's uh, the world number three and uh, certainly just a nice, consistent game, which is usually the kind that that uh, succeeds with the PGA. So, all right, we'll check in on that next week. In the meantime, thank you, as always, for listening. Please remember you can subscribe and review the show on your favorite podcast platform. You can also contact us at democracy in America today at gmail.com. We'll talk to you soon. 2020 vision.